Life Audio. Hey everyone, welcome back to How to Study the Bible. I'm your host, Nicole Eunice, and I am so glad to be with you here in 2024. And I want to encourage you, I think that, you know, there's a flurry of social media posts and thoughts and, you know, things on the news about New Year's resolutions and what you're looking forward to in the year, especially in the first like three days of January. And I actually think we should take the whole month to reflect on the year previous, the year to come. We don't have to be in a rush to like figure out what's this year going to be about because you and I both know that we make plans, but God's the one who orders our steps. So a lot of times, even if we really want to control what this year feels like, we're not going to be able to. We can actually enter into a space of listening and wanting to hear what God has for us, what God is teaching us, how we're growing in the Lord in this year, in every year to come. So we're going to spend a little time on some words to live by, some words to consider as your focus or your attention for 2024. And I set you up last week with all five words and some scripture to go with each of those words. And we're going to take one word a week over the next few weeks. And we're going to Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Talk about that word, what that word means for us in a spiritual context and look at one passage together. So here is my question for you. What is the evidence for your trust in God? I'll ask you again. What is the evidence for your trust in God? What on the outside in your life would you point to to explain and to stand by the reason that you trust God? And I want to Lay that out for you, maybe in a little bit of a provocative way, because I think that we're always growing, we're always wrestling, we're always discovering more in new ways that we trust God. And we may be discovering ways that we haven't trusted God and wanting to get back into a place where we can live in settled assurance and in real hope for a life that God has for us here and in eternity. And so we're going to start with the word of the week which is going to be the word trust. This is the word that I feel like the Lord has brought me to personally for 2024. So I'm starting us off with the word trust. You know, um, there are many things in my life. This is one little, one of those important things in my life is this podcast. But there's a lot of things in life that can feel uncertain. Is this what God has for me? Is this what God 
wants me to be doing, spending my time on, whether that's relationships or ministry or work. And so I, just like you guys, often am asking God, what is it that you want me to be doing? What is it that you want me to be focusing on? And in this podcast, this has been one of those questions, right? And I've looked back on 2023, and as I've looked back at places where life has had good fruit, I'm just really grateful for this little space to spend time in God's Word. It keeps me accountable, right? Like, I'm always thinking of you guys, not always, but, you know, I'm thinking of you frequently when I'm sitting down, I'm reading my scripture, I'm thinking about where's God have us? And and it's been a a heavy time for a lot of people over these past years, and I think a very disconcerting time where we've maybe felt like we've sometimes lost our way or we're not sure how to move forward with hope and joy, especially when it might feel like things around us are so uncertain or bleak. And I think we're all called to endeavor together, to experience God together. And I love that technology has allowed us to do that here We had an amazing year in 2023 that just blew me away as far as any expectations. I don't really have that many expectations for this podcast, but I just keep being amazed. We've had more than 350,000 downloads, maybe 400,000 downloads of this podcast last year. Your favorite episode of last year was May 22nd, What Jesus Had to Say About Wealth and Worry, which is very interesting. that the number one podcast was around worry and around money. And, you know, that's I'm noting that because I think that we are definitely going to want to spend some more time talking about anxiety and worry and how do we let go and release that and how do we actually live a life of joy and freedom with the Lord, even in the midst of a world that has many reasons to give us trouble, many reasons why we would be troubled. We can't just put our head in the sand and pretend like it's not sometimes a difficult life. So how do we deal with our fear and deal with our anxiety. So we'll do a little bit more of that this year as well. But when I look back on 2023 and this podcast, and I think ahead to 2024, and you know, I have, you guys know, because you're my crew, I have this book coming out in March called Not What I Signed Up For. And it's really vulnerable. It's about a really difficult season and really trying to find the Lord and trust the Lord in it. And I spent some time a few years ago while we were getting ready to get that book underway, and I asked a lot of you guys, a lot of you, maybe some of you even who are listening to this podcast, came to some focus groups. I had some in-person gatherings, and I asked the question, you know, what does a not what I signed up for season feel like? And the final question I asked was, what could be some of the fruit in your life out of a season you didn't expect? And the number one answer resoundingly The number one answer that people gave me about seasons that they didn't expect that were difficult was that they found a different kind or level or shape of their trust in God. And I thought that was so interesting that it's through seasons of struggle and uncertainty and when times feel unknown or we don't know where it's going to go or how long it's going to last that on the other side of that difficulty, which, by the way, I would never want anyone to have to sign up for any of the difficulties that, you know, I've heard you guys share with me that I've experienced in my own life. We don't we don't choose those things, and I don't think that God chooses those for us. I think that God redeems those things. He can use those things. But when we enter into difficult times like that, there's something about surviving that difficulty of being faithful to just continue to live to breathe, to claim our faith 
that we can get to the end of it and we can get to the other side of it and we can look back and say, I learned to trust God in ways that I never would have trusted him anyway. And I'm different for it. I feel different because of it. And as hard as it is to put that into words, I really do believe that that is a gift, a treasure, a goodness that God gives us when we go through unexpected seasons that trust can be what's found on the other side. So I'll ask you again, what is the evidence for your trust in God? Let's go to Isaiah 40. That's going to be sort of the chapter that I picked out for the theme trust, which is interesting because it doesn't like specifically say trust in it, but I think it really sets us up to think about how we get to a place of trusting in God. And I'm going to kind of take you guys through a couple of different pieces of the passage. It's a bit of a long chapter. So I'm going to read a portion and we're going to do a little mini, you know, what does it say? We're going to work through our live method in mini sections here in groups of 11. Or the first verse is going to be from 1 through 11. So we're going to do about 10 or 11 verses at a time. Okay. So are you ready? We are going to Isaiah 40. We are asking the question, what is the evidence for our trust in God? Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground will be made level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Can I say that one more time? And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country and they are seeing people come to know Jesus There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. 
Again, that's give.cru.org study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Okay, verse 11. So just real high level. What did you hear there? What did you see? It's a it's a beautiful picture. It's an image, right? And I, I know it can be easy to get kind of caught up in like, well, what does Jerusalem mean? And what does Zion mean? So try to stay up above it a little bit more than that and just see the picture that's being painted, right? So we have this picture. And in this picture, we start with the word comfort. The first thing that we hear in Isaiah 40 is comfort. So the, the theme of the chapter we want to know is God's loving gaze upon us, God's desire to comfort our affliction, God's desire to love us. So when you read it, you want to read it from like, this is a this is a chapter about God bringing us the comfort of his love and a vision for this future, right? And so we see in this future a place of rest. It starts in verse two and says, the service has been completed. The sin has been paid for. Proclaim to her that it's done. It's done, right? And then it goes on and says, in the wilderness, there's going to be this straight way made and everything that's been difficult, every dark valley of the shadow of death, every difficult mountain, everything is going to be made straight. And in that straight place, the glory of the Lord is going to be evident to all. Every single person is going to see the glory of the Lord. And then the the image sort of turns, right? And And it turns to this idea of, do we rightly understand who we are, right? It's saying like, hey, all people are like grass, like they're just gone, like the the time is so brief, the time is so short. Here is a God of glory who can completely level everything he's made in creation. He can make everything different with just a, a word. And in that same word, he gives us the truth about ourselves, which is that we are small, we are vulnerable, we are like grass. We come and go quickly. So we're sort of put into our proper place. But in the midst of that, we see that God says, he is mighty. He is strong. He's the one who rules with a mighty arm. He's the one who has his reward with him. And then he puts us in as his flock. He says that he, we're his lambs. We're close to his, his heart. He leads us. He is for us. So we've got this, what I would call a proper reality around the goodness, the glory, and the majesty, and the bigness of God, and of the smallness and vulnerability and short lifespan that is us, right? And in this, it's not that God's trying to hold us down or stomp us out. It's it's actually more to put things in perspective, that even your troubles are from are, are very small and momentary. Even the things that feel so difficult, even the things that perhaps you feel like are so dark and are so scary and are so powerful are so small compared to the power of God. And, and it's like we ask the question, what is the evidence of our trust in God? And what God begins to use is his creation as his evidence. So let's go on in Isaiah 40. Let's start with verse 12. Here we go. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? 
Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot, and they look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the ruler's of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. Like a whirlwind, he sweeps them away like chaff. Okay, let's stop there before we go into our last portion of this chapter. Okay, so what do we have going on here? We have a continued theme going on, but now the theme is sort of expanded, right? We've had this, hey, make way in the desert, here comes our Lord, and now we're actually hearing the size and scope of God's power, of God's creativity, and of God's intelligence. And so the writer, Isaiah, is using this third voice, this idea of asking these rhetorical questions that are used to persuade people to trust in God. All of these rhetorical questions help us get perspective on who God is. So when Isaiah says in verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. It's laughable. You're like, what? <laughs> you know, if you can imagine yourself looking out over the ocean, I don't know if you've ever been on a boat where you've been far enough out in the ocean that you could only see ocean in every direction, which is is quite alarming, actually, if you think about it. But if you ever had that happen, if you've ever been in that experience, or if you can even imagine that experience where you would turn 360 degrees around you and see that there is only ocean every direction, that's how small we are. And Isaiah is like, who has held the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who measures out the size of the islands? It is God. That is how big he is. That is how creative he is. That is how complex his understanding of the world that he's made for us. And to make the world, he could do that and did that in one word. He is that big. And then he goes on and says, and who, who's here to give more intelligence than God? Who counsels the Lord? Who knows more than the Lord? Who showed him the path of understanding? Of course, all of those questions are set up and designed for us to say, of course, no one. What is the evidence for our trust in God? The evidence, my friends, is all around us. It is literally all around us. It is in the grass and the flowers and the ocean and the mountains. And just the idea that we could have in our mind to ask the question, who, what being could create such creativity, such beauty, such complexity. Who told God how to do this? Of course, the answer is no one, no one but God. He is the one in whom is the, the source of life, in whom all of us live and move and have our being. It is him. And Isaiah goes on and he sort of sets up the folly 
the foolishness with which we actually think that we can find power in this world. And he talks about people who make idols, the idea that we would take a man-made thing, like a thing from the world. We would take one thing from the world, like gold, and we would put it in fire, which God also made, and we would make it into the shape of an idol. Like we would actually make it ourselves and then pretend like it has power, right? And like a person who can't have gold or, or silver, maybe they use wood, right? And they they try to make this idol as if that thing is going to bring them power. And so Isaiah is using rhetorical questions to be like, does everyone see how stupid that is? Like, does everyone understand how dumb that is? Now, perhaps you're nodding along with me and you're like, yeah, I mean, dumb. Who puts a gold idol on a chain and puts it around their neck, right? Oh, except that we do, right? Except that we do. Except that we put all of this trust and power in our institutions, in our governments, in our paychecks, in our appearance, in our likes, in our friendships, in our kids, in the way our homes look. We do the same thing. And the whole context of this chapter is designed to help us deconstruct the things that we place power in and ask the question, why would we put trust in anything except for God who created the world who and also gathers us in his arms. The God who says that you are like chaff, but also I care tenderly for you. All of this is designed to say, turn to your left and turn to your right. See how nations rise and fall. See how governments come and go. See how rulers are born and die. How rulers are put up and deposed all over. Do you see how temporary all of it is? Therefore, my friend, why are we worried about it? Why are we so terrified of it? Why are we living our lives in fear of any of those things? That is the the message of Isaiah 40. And it goes on. And now we're in my absolute favorite part of the chapter as we wrap up for today. Here we go. Verse 25. With all that in mind, Isaiah writes these words on behalf of the Lord. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes. And look to the heavens, who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, even young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You see, this whole chapter, this line of reasoning, these questions is designed to bring us to this question. So therefore, my friends, to whom could we compare God? And then God calls us out for our lack of trust, as we often have, by asking the question, why are you complaining? Why do you think that your cause is disregarded by me? Why do you think that your way is hidden from me? And of course, that begs the question, and if I think about how I felt God asking and and answering these questions in my own life, he's asking the question, is it because you're not getting your way that you think that I'm not present? Is it 
Is it because you're not having an emotional experience that you think I'm not present? You know, have you looked around (laughs) to see the evidence of my glory and the reasons you should trust me? And so often, friends, I do think that is the case. I think that when things feel difficult or we are not getting our way, we think that means that God is not present and that God has forgotten about us. And Isaiah 40 stands as evidence to God saying, do you know who I am? I will not be tired. I will not be weary. I hold the earth together. I know what is happening. Nothing is scaring me. I'm not worried about anything. Everything is held together in my sovereignty. Every single thing happening is held together in my sovereignty. The difficulties in your family, the difficulties in your community, the difficulties in our country, it is held together. He is not tired. He is not weary. He has not run out of understanding. He's not dumb. He's not confused. God is sovereign. And not only that, but he has decided to not disregard our cause, to not treat us as the very small, very, very temporary little creatures that we are. Instead, God decides out of his love that he's going to care for us tenderly like lambs, that he is going to be our shepherd. He decided out of his love that he will give strength to us, that he will increase our power. And it says in verse 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And that word renew here in this verse actually means exchange. Those who hope in the Lord, he will exchange his strength for their weakness. And I love that the word exchange here is used because we know that there is one beautiful, divine, amazing, life-changing exchange that happens. And that exchange is in our life with Christ. When we say yes to Jesus, we exchange our weariness, our sinfulness for his righteousness, for his confidence, and for his strength. When we say yes, Jesus, I abandon myself completely to you. I trust you completely. I follow you completely. Yes, you can do for me what I can never do for myself. I will accept your love for me. When we make that exchange, we receive Christ's righteousness for our sinfulness. He takes the punishment that is designed for us and he takes it upon himself. And way back in Isaiah, before Jesus, before the cross, we see this prophetic word being used where God says, not only do I promise that you can have hope in me, that you can trust in me, but I promise an exchange, an exchange of your weakness for my strength. And that exchange is going to be fully realized in my love for you by sending my son to do for you what you can never do for yourself. What is the evidence for your trust in God? I want to invite you this week to read this chapter, Isaiah 40. Read it once, read it twice, read it 10 times. Let it sink into your bones and into your heart until you can lift your head from whatever's been troubling you from whatever you're anxious about, from whatever's making you worried, and you can say, I have evidence to trust in God. Therefore, I will be strong because God takes my weaknesses and he exchanges it for strength, which means I can rest and I can be confident and I can be joyful and I can be peaceful. Friends, is trust the word you need for 2024? Looking forward to continuing to explore that with you and together. And we'll be back next week with our next word. See you then. How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. 
If you like what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review the podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. And oftentimes, you know, you're chasing happiness, but you don't know that God is the best way to achieve the happiness you're looking for. And so I was trying to end my suffering by sinning, but I only ended up sinning my way into more suffering. That was Grammy winner Lecrae unpacking his testimony on The Walk, a podcast for worshipers. Join us weekly to hear artists, songwriters, worship leaders, filmmakers, and other creatives tell stories in the form of a devotional. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast platform.